Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Exponential Church. Whether you're here with us in person, you're joining us online, we are so glad that you chose to spend your morning here with us at Exponential. Um, You may notice that I am not Gilbert Thurston. I don't know if that you could tell right away or not, or if I... Yes, better looking if you're online. They're saying all these great compliments about me out in the crowd right now. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Brian Miller. Uh, I'm an old friend of Pastor Gilbert. Um, I've been here actually at your church several times in the past. Hopefully you've seen me before. I've helped lead worship. Your team is amazing, by the way. They did such a great job this morning. Yes, they're awesome. I was blown away. I was starting to think, like, were they bad because I was helping them the last time? I don't know, but they're, they're awesome now, so maybe that was the difference. Uh, no, they're doing great, and, you know, I, I'm so glad to be here. I've known Gilbert for many, many years. In fact, this morning, I didn't know he was going to be here, but he came up to me this morning, and in typical Pastor Gilbert fashion, he asked me, hey, are you, you all right? You, gonna, you ready? You ready to do this? And I said, well, you know, getting kind of the pressure on me, I said, well, I'm going to do the best that I can. And he said, well, you know, it can't be worse than the first time you preached. Whoa. Not, oh, you're going to do great, Brian. That's, you're going to do an awesome job. Thanks for that. Um, just to give you, I'm going to tell you the story now. So imagine, put yourself in my shoes for a second, okay? You're, you're a, a budding young man wanting to get into ministry, and you ask a great pastor who's a great speaker to help you out and to be your mentor. And he says, sure, you can do that. I need you to write a message and I'm going to kind of critique you. And I thought, okay, well, great. I thought maybe I would submit, you know, a script to him and that, that would be it. And he said, no, I'm going to have you stand on a stage by yourself with just me sitting right in front of you in one of the seats and I'm going to listen to your message, right? And of course he was hurling insults at me the entire time, heckling me. So it's going to be better than that, I guess. Um, but no, I've known Pastor Gilbert for so long, uh, and I've, I was at your very first meeting of Exponential Church. I was there to support you guys. So we have been praying for you. Um, you know, I am a former staff member at Grand Point Church, which was Chambersburg First Church of God. No longer in ministry myself, but I still have opportunities to, to lead worship and to share. And I just, I really consider this a great honor, and I'm really thankful that I was asked to do this. I believe God has a very special message for us this morning, and, and I hope that you all kind of lean into what we feel God has to, to speak out of this series. Um, hopefully, you've been enjoying it. We're in week two of Philippians. We're just, just going chapter by chapter through this book. Such a great book, one of my favorite books of the Bible. So many practical things about how we should live our lives as Christians. Um, last week was a great message from Matt Donaldson. If you haven't listened to that, make sure to go to exponential.church and listen to that. You can see, uh, you can listen to the audio or the video of that message. Really great about reminding us to live a life for Jesus and how the world may view that. This week we're going to continue. We're going to continue on in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi about how they should be living their lives. We're going to continue in this series, but before we do, uh, I just want to start us off with a little bit of prayer. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that you have given us, that we don't have to just listen to our gut, decide on our own what it is that we should do or the life that we should live. No, you saw it in your infinite wisdom to write down, using people to write down these words into a book so that we may know you better so that we can have a revelation of who you are, so we can understand 
the love letter that you wrote to us, revealing yourself in this book. We thank you for that, God. We ask that you would soften our hearts to the message that you have this morning. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So whether you're here with us in person or online, I encourage you to get out your Bible. Again, as Bill was saying as we started off, uh, we had some announcements in the message. You can go to exponential.church and you can get all the fill in the blanks, the scripture. You can see all that stuff there as well if you don't have access to a Bible. Um, If you can get it on your phone, get out your phone and follow along as well. We're going to start right off the beginning in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And this, again, is Paul speaking to the church. And he's asking them a couple of really difficult questions. Here they are. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a big passage like that, I start to get pretty convicted. I start to think, um, you know, maybe I do some of these things, but maybe not the other things. You know, how often, let's be honest with each other, because we're going to get together, we're going to hear God's word. I think it, we, let's, let's make it worthwhile, right? Let's be honest about how, where we are and where God wants us to be. So how often are your hearts tender and compassionate? Is it like 50% of the time? 60%, 75, you're really good. Maybe it's like 95, you're almost there. How often are we humble thinking of others? Now, personally, I'm the most humble person on the planet. And I, I'm big enough to admit that to you this morning. Some people get that. But some of you might struggle with that, right? I get that. You struggle with humility, not me. But we all struggle with some of these things, right? We all struggle with them, and it's okay to admit that. We all struggle with feelings of selfishness, of trying to impress others. I think that's, that's why Paul thought this was so important to bring up to the church, because these are common struggles that we have. And I would argue that, obviously, this is an issue in Paul's time, but this is even more of an issue in our time, isn't it? And in our society, in our culture that we live in, I would argue that our society that we live in today is one that is structured around the idea that life is all about you. It's all about you. And think about it. Think about the consumer culture that we have in this country, right? Not saying that things are inherently bad or getting things for yourself are inherently bad, but we are bombarded all the time by advertisements that say, hey, if you just get this new thing, maybe you'll be happy. Maybe you'll feel something inside. Or that if you would just go on this vacation, right, maybe you would feel happy or be fulfilled. It's all about you and your wants and your desires. We have targeted ads all over the place. What about our political system? I don't want to get too deep into it. I want Gilbert to, to ask me back again um, <laughs> in the future. But let's think about it. Isn't our political system in many ways based around the current one that we're in now 
the discourse that we have, this idea that it's about what our side can get. Whether we on our left or right side is winning. That's what matters. It's about us. Think about this one. Raise your hand if you're on social media. Is anyone on social media here? Yeah, pretty much all of us. Those of you who aren't, I commend you. You're not missing out on anything. Um, Part of what I do for work, I'm a communications and marketing director for a school district, so I get to deal in social media all the time. Um, And do you think it's like mostly a positive thing or a negative thing with schools? Uh, Yeah, big time. So uh, I get that. But think about social media. It's really tailored around you, right? That you, your algorithm is the center of what you're reading, you're seeing. What about TikTok? Does anyone have a TikTok account that's on your phone? Yeah. All you good Christian people don't have TikToks. That's good. <laughs> some, of our, some of us heathens, though, um, sometimes look at TikTok. Does anybody know what the main page is called on TikTok? Think about it. Chat, if you know it online, put it on there. You're outing yourselves, by the way, of having a TikTok account. It's called the For You page, right? It's for you. It's about your interests and what you want to follow. Your Facebook pages, they're tailored to you. The same with Twitter. You can even unfollow people. You can follow people that you want to hear. You can reinforce all of the same ideas and beliefs. In some cases, a good thing. Some cases, it's not but it's all about you. That's the type of society that we live in. But Paul is saying in Philippians 2 that we have to live a different kind of life, a life that is not all about us, but a life that is in turn about others. That's what this whole part is about. He calls us to live a different way. But how do we accomplish that? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read some of these verses in the Bible, I get a little discouraged because I, I hear it saying I should live this way, but I don't immediately see the how, right? I don't see the steps all the time. And that's frustrating to me, but Paul didn't leave it out. He gave us a way, a method that we can emulate to live that type of life that is outward focused and not inward focused. And that's, in fact, our very next verse. Philippians 2, 5. After all of these verses about how we should live our lives, what does he say? He gives us a method to accomplish it. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. What Paul is saying is, church, you need to have an attitude adjustment, okay? I think all of us can say and be honest, again, we're being honest with each other this morning, that we've all dealt with people that have needed attitude adjustments. Can I get an amen, right? Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's other people. Has anyone here, gathered here or online, if you have, let us know. Have you ever had to deal with a child who needed an attitude adjustment? Okay. Did you bring that child with you this morning? Those who are online, is that child in the room next to you breaking things while you're trying to watch church this morning? Right? But it's not just kids, right? That, uh, we wish it was just kids. No, no, it, it goes into adulthood, doesn't it? And so we deal with adults that need attitude 
adjustments, right? People that we work with. Maybe even sometimes in our relationships, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our spouses. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because they're probably sitting next to you. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, right? But have you dealt with a significant other who's needed an attitude adjustment? Of course you have. Maybe you had to do that this morning. I don't know. I'm glad you still came, though. But what do we do when we deal with kids, right? And I, I think about this in my perspective because I feel like um, I, my, with, I have three kids, and it is a constant struggle of attitude adjustments that need to happen. Now, they're all younger, right? And so it is a constant struggle with them that, you know, I have two boys that are younger, daughter who's 10, and so the two boys are always trying to play the same video games, play with the same toys. They're fighting each other. It's a constant struggle to get them to change their attitude. So when we deal with kids, a lot of times, what do we do? When we're saying that you, you, we're trying to change their attitude, what, we, what do we do? We say, hey, stop it, right? <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> and then what are they, what's the response that they give back to us? Why? Why? And then what's our response back? Because I said so. Good, I'm not the only one that did that. I thought I was a bad, I thought I was a bad parent there for a while. Um, but the more that I think about that and the reaction that we get back from kids, it's actually a really good question, isn't it? Why? And I know it's, it's easy for us to just say, because I said so, but I think what we have to understand is that the bad attitudes and the patterns that we see in people's lives, the actions are coming from a type of thinking that they have, right? And so when we want to have somebody change that bad pattern, that bad attitude, we have to get them to change what? Their, their thinking. And so it's not enough for me just to just go to my kid and say, hey, you gotta listen to me because I'm your dad. That is true, but there's a deeper reason behind it because you're treating someone badly. Your actions have consequences, all those things. That's the why. That's to get them to start thinking. See, the way we perceive and interpret the world around us, it influences the decisions we make and the behaviors we engage in, okay? And so what Paul is saying here in Philippians 2.5 is he's saying you have to have the same attitude that Christ had. It's really important to look at that word attitude because there's a lot of different translations of it. Now, I'm using the New Living Translation, but if you look at the Greek word for attitude, it can be defined as this. It's the idea, the idea is not to give a casual thought to something, but a thinking that involves affections and will as well as reason. See, it's not just an emotion that you have. It's a reasoning and a thinking that you have. Another translation of this verse here puts it this way. It says that we must have the same mind as Jesus. The same mind as Jesus. We must think like Jesus. And that's how we'll accomplish this change in ourselves that goes from a place of being self-centered to looking outward and being humble and putting other people before us. See, and that brings us to our point this morning is that before I can change how I treat people, I must change how I think about people. In the same way that we're talking with a kid, right, we're trying to change that behavior, we have to change the thinking first because oftentimes we go through life, to be honest again, simply reacting to situations and people, right, without thinking. 
So if you drove here this morning and somebody cut you off in traffic, what's our first reaction? Oh, Lord bless them. <laughs> oh, God, thank you for that person this morning that totally got into my lane without signaling. Thank you for them, Lord. No. Let's be honest. That's not how we react to people, obviously, right? We maybe say some choice words to them, give them some hand signals. These things happen, okay? But that's us reacting without thinking about it. What about we go to, you know, a restaurant, we order something, we didn't want onions on it, they come out with onions on it, we get upset about it. We say something to that waiter, or we give them an attitude, we don't give them a tip. Right, that's us reacting without thinking about it. It's our base reactions. Paul is saying that what we need to do, though, instead is to have the same mind as Jesus did. We have to think like him. We see this in Romans 12 too, where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Everybody say it out loud. Think. If you're online, put it in the chat. Think by changing the way you think. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. And that's how we do it, by changing the way that we think. Paul gives us this example in Jesus' life. So he says we have to have the same mind as Jesus. And then as we continue on in Philippians 2.6, we see that he shows us the example that Jesus' life gives us to change our thinking. And the we, that we can emulate that. So today we're going to look at that example and get a couple more points that I think can help us change how we think and how we see others. So let's continue in Philippians 2.6. We get the beginning of this story of Jesus. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now this verse alone, by the way, is just to me a very interesting verse. And it's something that I've heard plenty of times as I've studied the Bible, I've read through this passage. I always thought that cling word was a little bit interesting, right? Um, kind of a weird thing, actually, if you think about who Jesus was. What, what does that mean that he didn't see it as something to, to cling to? If, if you go into some of the study of this, it's, it's, I think it's very, very interesting. You see, as Christians, we believe that God is a trinity, right? That it's three persons in one. And that this being of God with those three persons have existed throughout eternity, right? So before time, before time was even a thing, this relationship was there. It existed together in eternity in perfect relationship. But Jesus, as God in his humility, didn't see that as something to cling to. He didn't see that relationship, that perfect unity that was there as something to hoard or defend or to keep for himself. Isn't that interesting? One translation says that he didn't use it to his advantage. Instead, he was willing to what? Humble himself for others. See, that brings us to our first point this morning. To think like Jesus, I need to be willing to give up my rights for the rights of others. Think about that one for a second. I need to be willing to give up my rights for the rights of 
others. See, Jesus in his godhood, in his divinity, was entitled to be worshipped. He was entitled to be revered. It was his right to exist in that perfect relationship. But what did he do? He humbled himself. See, and, and how, how does that relate to us? Well, let's, again, we're, we're to, being totally honest this morning. No judgment here today. But oftentimes, we're not willing to give up things that are, our, that are rightfully ours as a way of humbling others, uh, hum, uh, humbling ourselves. We're not willing to give up our finances sometimes that are rightfully ours, right? I worked really hard for that money. I put in a lot of time and expertise to get my bank account to where it's, where, where it's at. It's rightfully mine. But does Jesus want us to hoard that and keep it for ourselves? Or to keep our hands open like he did? What about our time in service, right? I had a really rough week. Tons of things that I had to do. I don't know if I have the time to serve others on a Sunday morning or whatever that looks like. This is rightfully my time. I've earned this time to myself. But is that what Jesus calls us to? See, don't get me wrong. You're entitled to those things. Those are good things, right? You need to take time for yourself. You're entitled to the money and all that that you earn. But what Paul is showing us is about Jesus is this is an example that we need to hold those things with an open hand and be willing to give them up for the better, betterment of others. That's what Jesus did for us. Look at the example of Jesus. See, he came into this world to serve. Philippians 2.7 says this. Instead, so rather than clinging to the, these things that were rightfully his, what did he do? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus came to serve. That brings us to our second point this morning. To think like Jesus, to really have his mind, we have to understand that my purpose in God's plan is to serve others. It's to serve others, not be served myself. Jesus had every right to be served. Would you agree with that? Of course he did, but he gave up that right to serve others, and that's the example that we have. You see, Jesus understood God's plan, okay? He understood what it meant to follow that plan, and if we're going to think like him, we have to be willing to serve like he did. Look at what Galatians 5.13 says. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now that we are free from a life of sin, that we have been redeemed by the action of Jesus Christ on the cross, by accepting that, what do we do with that? It, it would be pretty easy for us to just sit back and say, man, whew, things are good now, right? <laughs> I've been saved by Jesus. Oh, that's awesome. God, I have a relationship with you. That's great. What Paul is saying here is that, in Galatians even, he's saying, that can't be it. That's not, it can't stop there. Right? We have this freedom in Christ. It's on us now to use that freedom to what? To serve others. See, if we really think the way Jesus thinks and understand our purpose in God's plan, 
doesn't that change the way we interact with people? Like if we really believe that our goal in life should be to serve other people, that that's how God is going to use us, doesn't that change our priorities? Right? Can life be all about acquiring money if your purpose is to serve others? I don't think so. Again, not a bad thing to want to get money, but that can't be what your purpose in life is. Again, using the same examples as before, what about your time? If you're working all this time to get some time off so that you can spend to yourself, nothing wrong with that. But if our purpose in life is to serve others, can that be what it's really all about? Do you see how a change in thinking like Jesus can change how we interact with others? How can we serve others? Maybe that waitress that got us the wrong order, right? How can we serve them? Encouraging them. Writing them a nice note, even if they mess things up. If we change our thinking, we can change our behavior and how we act. But as we'll find in the next verse in Philippians 2, this kind of radical humility... This radical change in how we treat other people, it has a consequence. And I think if we're going to live this full Christian life that Paul has called us to and fulfill what he has said previously in the verses about how we should interact with each other, we have to understand the consequences and be okay with them just as Jesus was. Look at Philippians 2.8. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What was the, re, the result of Jesus' humility and service to other people and to God? What was the result? Death, pain, suffering. A third point this morning, to think like Jesus, I need to understand that obedience will come with a price. Obedience will come with a price. Obedience to God will come with a price, and Jesus himself understood this. He knew it. Even before going to that cross, he understood the price that he had to, to, to pay. How do we know that? Well, we see it in Luke twenty two forty two. On the night that he was to be taken away, Jesus goes off by himself and prays. The night before he was be, to be taken away and crucified, or taken away into the possession of the Romans. He went off by himself, and he prayed. What is his prayer? This is just, to me, it's absolutely fascinating what he prays. He says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Then what did he say? Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Your will to be done, not mine. Mind. Jesus knew that obedience would cost him, and he did it anyway. Why? Because he came to serve each and every one of us here this morning, those who are listening online. He came to serve every single one of you by giving up himself. He knew that obedience to God would come with a price, and he was willing to pay it. So guess what? Christians, we have to be willing to pay that price too. 
oftentimes we have really self-selective obedience, selective obedience, right? Well, we're willing to do what God calls us to as long as it's not too difficult. Yeah, and if we're just being honest about it, I, I deal with this myself too. Or yeah, you know, maybe I could go and talk to that person about my faith if the conditions are right, the stars kind of align and the perfect conversation comes up. Maybe then I'll talk to somebody about my faith. Or if, you know, the opportunities to serve fall within a very specific range of what I can do, then yeah, I'll do that. Or if I have enough money in my bank account, maybe then I'll give or help somebody out. Selective obedience. You're trying to obey without paying a price. So we're happy to serve others as long as it fits into our comfort. But God calls us to be uncomfortable for others, for the benefit of others. That's what God calls us to do. And we see that in the example of Jesus. And it hurts and it's going to be uncomfortable and not very fun sometimes. But there's another result of obedience that we see as well. And what is that? Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, so taking this example of Jesus in the previous verses and what he did, that he was willing to not cling on to what he was entitled to, but instead humble himself and become a servant, all the way up until the cross and die. Therefore, what is the result of all of those things that Jesus did? What's the result? God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. See, as a result of Christ's obedience, God's plan of salvation was enacted, and we receive the results of that blessing. See, to think like Jesus, our last point this morning, I need to trust that God rewards his servants. That my humility is going to accomplish God's plan, and there is a reward for us. You see, in every moment of humility and obedience, we're paying a cost, we're giving up ourselves. We need to trust that God will reward that. And what is that reward? Look at Jesus. It's an eternal reward, not necessarily a reward in this world. You need to understand that, okay? Because so often we think that if I follow God, you know, maybe things are gonna, I'm gonna get the job that I need, that I wanna get, or things are gonna pan out in my life. That may happen, there are blessings that God gives us in, in, in this world. We need to recognize that. But that can't be our hope. Our hope is the, in the internal reward that we get. An eternal reward in which we can share with the exalted Jesus. That exalted Jesus that was lifted up to that highest place of honor that we see in Philippians 2. We become heirs of that. Do you get that? Do you know that? We become heirs with Christ, exalted as he was. We have to understand that our reward for service is not things, it's not blessings, even though they will come in this world. Our reward is God. 
It's God. It's him. It's an eternal reward. Look at what Romans 8 says in verses 15 and on through 18. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit, and he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his what? Heirs. Heirs. That means we receive something that we didn't necessarily earn, right? You don't earn your inheritance. You get something that somebody else earned. We are heirs of his glory. Here's the but. Don't you hate it when the Bible has buts in it? They can be tough. Here's the but. If we are to share in his glory, receive that inheritance, be heirs with him, what do we have to do? We must also share in his suffering. We must also share in his suffering. It is going to cost us to live a life that is focused on others and not ourselves. But what is our reward? Look in Romans 8.18. Yet. This is the encouragement. Yet. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, we have such a small view of eternity, don't we sometimes? Where we think that, you know, the 60, 70, God willing, maybe longer years that we have here is so long, right? Um, that it's not worth it to have pain and to sacrifice of ourselves. But if we had a perspective that God has, our lifetime here, the suffering that we feel, the uncomfortableness that we go through, is a moment. It's a moment in the grand scheme of eternity. And what Paul is saying here in Romans is that that suffering that we endure is nothing compared to the reward that we get. Absolutely nothing. And so if we go through this world and try to serve ourselves as Christians to make this life as comfortable as we can make it, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on seeing God move in people's lives, of being someone who can share your faith with others, that they get this reward that we get as well. And we do that because we make life about ourselves. We don't follow the example that Jesus gave us, that Paul outlines here in Philippians, to live a life that holds our hands open, that says, I'm willing to serve others and, and go into humility into my neighborhoods, into my workplace, that I'm willing to do that no matter the cost because I understand that my reward is God. And so when we look back at those beginning verses, now that our mind 
has been changed. Now that our thinking is different, it's a little bit easier to see how we accomplish what Paul is telling us to do. Isn't it? Look at that again. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Oh, yeah, there definitely is. Hypothetical question, but there is. Any comfort from his love? Absolutely, because I know he has a plan for me in eternity. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Of course there is, because I put others ahead of myself. I may disagree with somebody, but that's okay, because I'm using the example of Christ. Are your hearts tender and compassion, compassionate? Do you look out for your own interests or take an interest in others as well? We're now outward focused, not inward focused. Do I now have the same attitude that Jesus Christ has? And that's the question for each one of us today. Will we allow God's word to not just be a, a set of scriptures that say, hey, this is dad, listen to me, do what I say, but rather to change our thinking and as a result, the way that we interact with others. Because we are the ones that Jesus uses in this community to reach people. We are the ones. And I guarantee you that people are going to have to see Jesus in us before they ever step a foot into this church. They're going to have to. So today, are you inward focused? Are you outward focused on others, understanding and taking to heart what Jesus did for us? Where are you at today? What changes do you need to make? Where do you need to give up of yourself for others? Is it in your workplace? Is it at your school? Is it with your family? Where is it at? Take an inventory today and use the example that Jesus gives us. Let's pray together. Father God, not, it's not easy to be convicted. It's not easy to be confronted with the life that we're living that may not be lining up to what you've called us to do. But Father, we understand that this life is not about things being easy. We understand that obedience to you, Father, has a cost, and we know that because you paid that cost before us. We thank you for what you did on the cross, for paying that price so that we can have freedom, and not freedom just for ourselves, but freedom so that we can serve with joyful hearts others. Thank you for this book of Philippians. Thank you for the encouragement that it gives us, for the path that it gives us to go forward and to be your church in Harrisburg, in Chambersburg, all over the world. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.